Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cooper. And today on Future Express, we are talking about different types of interactive systems. Yeah, we're going to categorize interactive systems today. The reason I think this is a good thing uh, is because the possibilities for interactive systems are just exploding right. with modern media and technology. This has been a long-time trend. In fact, you and I have been talking about this type of stuff for years now. Um, especially VR, I think, really creates a space, you know, the, maybe not just today's VR, which is somewhat limited, but the promise of total virtual reality creates the ability for us to create almost any kind of interactive system we can think of. And so I feel like it'd be useful to have a way to, to talk about these things that's organized. I think people rely on, you know, either broad, fuzzy words like experience, or they really broadly apply terms like game and movie to a lot of things that are actually pretty different from each other. Right. So what I'd like to figure out are some more precise ways to, to categorize the different things that are possible in terms of an interactive system that you uh, experience through a computer. Yeah, just to define like a, a, a vocabulary so we can talk about these things. Yeah, and one of the things I uh, didn't find that useful to focus on when I was trying to sort of organize my thoughts on this was interactivity as like a metric um, or agency. Okay. Just because I feel like I feel like that can be a little bit of a red herring. I mean, there's to some extent, um, I guess a game is more interactive than a book, but. I don't know. That to me, that that's not precise enough. I mean, again, a book you can still control when you turn the pages. You can go back and reread sentences. You can put the book away. Um, to some extent, you know, all things are interactive. Um, so I did, so that's not one of the metrics I came up with. But I did come up with two other metrics that I thought were more useful. Okay. So uh, basically, I'm 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 going to try this out. You can tell me if you think it makes sense. But I'm going to try to organize everything in a space along two different axes. Okay. okay. So the first one is variability. Okay. So this would be to what degree can the experience vary each time and how much can the user alter the experience? And that's either intentionally or not, right? So the user may be intentionally altering the experience how they, to something so they want. So is that how you're d distinguishing it from agency? Yeah, I, I guess I don't... Yeah, because so agency to me is a more philosophical question. That's why I'm trying to avoid it. Well, agency seems to imply intention. Yes. Or it, at least the possibility for intention. Right. So uh, we could talk about that separately. Got it. But right now I'm just talking about variability. How much is the experience able to be different depending on the user? Okay. Um, and to some extent, this correlates with things that are sometimes talked about as positives. Things like replayability, rewatchability, reusability, things like that. Right. Because obviously if something has high variability, uh, you might be more likely to return to it. Although not necessarily. So variability. Right. High variability and low. And obviously this is a spectrum, right? Uh, so, you know, things could be somewhere along that axis. So something that's very low variability is like a feature film. Yes, I would agree with that. every time you play it back, I mean, even though you can pause and rewind and stuff, you're mostly going to get the same. Exactly. Like uh, the user, you, as a user, you can hardly alter the experience other than maybe pausing it. And then uh, a, um, a sport or something would have very high variability, right? Or like a, a game, a video game. Yeah, that would tend to have higher variability. Uh, 
again, if if games were as low variability as a movie, um, right, you know, would. people wouldn't tune in to watch sports every Sunday, right? Uh, because this game would be the same every time, right? Um, like games are designed to be different every time, and and they're right. affected by the players, they're affected by the coaches, they're affected by the weather. Like right. there's a lot of things that create the variability in say a sport, right? All right, so variability, that's a spectrum. Um, and then what's the other axis? The other one is how goal-based or directed it is. To some extent, this is a property of the user, right? Because the user can decide to pursue a goal, regardless of what the intent of the system is. But a lot of systems are designed by the designer with the intent that the user is supposed to aim for a goal, right? So how, how much of a goal does the system have? Hmm. Um, and again, I, I think this, this might sound a little more binary and I think it's a little more binary than maybe the last one, but I still think it's a spectrum, um, in terms of how clear, uh, the goal is prescribed and like how uh clear the win loss state or achievement, non-achievement state is for that goal. So do you think there's always an implicit goal then? Because there's some of these things just seem to have no goal to me. Right. Well, that would be very low on the spectrum. Okay. But it does seem like there's Some things both have no a binary goal. and a spectrum. There's like have a goal versus not have a goal. And then how explicit or how whatever is the goal? Well, I would say on, on, the, on the low end of the spectrum, yeah. you have essentially no goal. But I would say maybe on the other side, once you flip the switch to having a goal, mm-hmm. there's a degree to how strict that goal is applied. Right. Right. I um, agree with that. So it's... I would still sort of describe it as a spectrum. It's just that one end of the spectrum doesn't have that much. Well, it does seem like there's an actual cutoff point though, you know, low on the spectrum. Sure. Where you no longer have any goal at all. Although I guess you could say that even watching something I would describe as not goal-based, like watching a movie, you still have like a goal to be entertained, to be scared, to feel things like, so I guess to some extent you could always have, say there's a low background. So that was my question. Is there an implicit goal? Yeah, I think maybe there always is an implicit goal with the system. Otherwise, why are you interacting with it? So uh, It's just like, how clearly is that defined? Right. So the implicit goal of a movie is something like, continue watching to the end. Yeah. <laughs> is what it seems. Yeah, and, 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 and scaring you or, or interesting you with the story yeah. is all just in the service of getting you to watch to yeah, the end. But that's such a wishy-washy, ill-defined that like, goal right. that that's very low on the spectrum. Right. That feels like the implicit, but but so silly that it never needs to be explicit. Right. Right. Whereas like if you go bowling, knock down all 10 pins is a very explicit, clear goal right. that you immediately get feedback on. Right. You knock down six out of 10 pins. Yeah. And that would be like very high on the goal based spectrum. Right, right, right. So, right. okay. So these, so these are the two axes we are picturing, right? So we've got variability and how goal based something is. Okay. Right. So, Again, is this the only way to categorize this stuff? Obviously not, but I found this useful as a way to 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 sort of start thinking about these things. And so I, you can place different things in these the four quadrants that would be created. Right, let's, talk, let's talk quadrants. Okay. Okay. I love quadrants. I'm a big fan of quadrants. Four quadrant. Uh, the, I love these models. These four quadrant models. Maybe too much, but uh, well, it's just they're fun. Yeah, it's a fun way to organize the world. Well, because sometimes you find a fourth quadrant that you were ignoring, and you think, oh, that's an interesting one. Right. Um, so anyway, so low variability and highly goal-based. Let's talk about that. Low variability, highly goal-based. I would put puzzles in that category. Obviously. Right. I mean... The goal is to solve the puzzle. And the variability is low because you're going to end at the same place no matter what. Most puzzles 
I mean, it depends on the puzzle. Some puzzles have multiple solutions, but most puzzles have a single solution that you're simply trying to find. Right. And once you know that solution, there's very little reason to interact with that puzzle. And if you input that solution correctly every time you sit down at the puzzle, you should get the same result. Right, right. You might get a slightly different path to the solution. Right. You're you're getting a very little variability in the end point. And this would, of course, include things that have puzzle in the name, like a jigsaw puzzle or a crossword puzzle. Uh, but it would also include a fair amount of video games. That, to some extent, a very linear video game that you can solve in the same way every time by inputting the same exact sequences into the controller. Right. Like even Super Mario is very puzzle-like, ultimately. I mean, you can. there's still some variability in that you can mess up your jumps. Like you can just like, there's the human variability of I could screw this well, up. Still, yeah, hand-eye coordination skills. Yeah, in- but more or less, if you were to run through that game and do the same thing every time you would you well, could as people who do that solution would work yeah exactly proven if you just practice that you can do it yeah. incredibly fast and mm-hmm. uh and it's the same more or less every time with very little variability i used to like to play those lucas arts games or like now telltale makes similar type of games on modern platforms those are basically puzzles as well where instead of a picture at the you know they show you a narrative as you solve the but it's the same thing. You can, if you know what to click, you can, there's solutions that are published where they tell you what to click. Right. Exactly. And if you follow those instructions perfectly, you'll see the entire game. So that's a puzzle. But, but they are clearly goal-based. I mean, when you want to get to the end. Yeah. Once you've, you've solved Just the game, you're at the secret of monkey Island or whatever it is. Right. They, you get feedback that you have solved it. You've found the solution. Right. Uh, and that's, pretty clearly defined what they don't often have is clearly defined losing states usually oftentimes the puzzle you just keep trying until the losing state is you give up yeah (laughs) so that's a little fuzzily defined compared to how it could be Mm -hmm. but uh yeah so that would be the super mario you can lose yes you run out of life that's true so So it's not all of them but that's a trend maybe in those sure yeah exactly got it so also in the same category of low variability and highly goal-based would be a quiz or test Right? You have a right. clear goal, which is do well on the test usually. Right. Get 100% if you can or close to it. Right. Uh, but most tests are not variable. I mean, you can design a variable test. I'm not saying you can't. And that's something you could do with software. You know, mm-hmm. it gets harder um, as you do better on it. Say. No, but as people who have cheated on tests know. Yeah. Mostly Low the variability. uses the same There's test. solutions, yeah. Yes, yes. and that's why it's, uh, it profits children to steal the answer key. Otherwise, right. there, would be, there would be no reason to do that if it was a randomly generated test that just gave you, this tested the same skills each time, but gave you different problems. Right. Right? Um, so I... Yeah. I hope some dastardly teacher somewhere is doing that to children. I imagine they probably are. That wasn't happening when I was in school, but I think it would have been too hard then. Well, I mean, teachers care more or less about stopping cheating. It just depends. I yeah. Think. This would be, I think, slightly higher variability generally, but it, but many classes, I would say, like an academic class or an online class, mm-hmm. probably still fall in this category. They might have some variability in that, you know, you write your paper and depending on how you write the paper, you might get different feedback and so on. But doing assignments, you know, that are predetermined and watching lectures that are predetermined, you're having a pretty low variability experience, but it's still very goal-based. Again, usually you want to do well and pass the class. Right. Well, right. I mean, ostensibly there's curriculum they want to cover and there's knowledge they want you to have when you're done with the class. Yeah. 
And there's the fuzzier goal of having the knowledge, right? Right. So, I mean, yeah, we're trending more towards the middle of these spectrums with this one, but I would, I would put a class roughly in the same category as a quiz and all, in the same category as a puzzle. Well, uh, one thing that a class does is it, it ties the fuzzier ostensible high goal to a specific measurement, like we're going to grade your papers, for example, or we're right. grade your tests, or we're going to grade the totality of your assignments. And uh, that measurement stands in for the answer. They know it's not perfect, but it stands in for the answer because right. it's measurable. So, so you focus on, on that. Okay. So, yeah. so I think we can move to the next quadrant now. Yeah, All that makes sense. So let's stick with highly goal-based stuff, but now we're going to turn up the variability. Right. So high variability. Right. Well, so we already mentioned sports Yep. and, and I think a lot of what we view as traditional games, strategy games, gambling games, things like chess, tennis, poker. In fact, there's a book called Characteristics of Games that describes these as ortho games or sort of standard games. They, they're games that you uh, play with two or more players and then you have a clear victory condition, win-loss state at the end. And mm-hmm. you have some uncertainty built, built into the game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so th- these obviously, again, high variability um, is the whole point of these things, right? Uh, but they're also very goal-based. Okay. Mm -hmm. But there's some other, so that's Mm -hmm. sort of the obvious, I think most like dominant form in this quadrant. Right. But there's actually like other stuff that, that would fall in here too, like an auction, like an online auction. Again, high variability, Mm -hmm. uh, depending on, you know, anytime you have like one of the ways you can generate variability is from the other users being in the system. Right. Right. That creates a certain amount of, uh, chaotic interaction, you know, when you have different agents, like, that can influence things. Right. So largely things that are multiplayer tend to also be high variability. Right. Um, and of course there's this goal in the auction, which is to get the best deal on the thing you want. Um, to some extent, like an application process would fall into this category. Um, like where you're trying to apply and get a limited seat in something mm-hmm. or a contest for the same reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have some things that I think are, lower on the goal spectrum, but still have some goal usually like, so a tool, like a software tool is usually designed to fulfill a goal. Now, to some extent that's, you know, if you have something like Photoshop, mm-hmm. the goal is somewhat determined by the user, but usually if you sit well, down still image for a, yeah, exactly. There, there's still yeah. like a, so it's maybe less goal based than say like tennis, which is get the most points and win. Right. But it's still fairly, there's a goal there. Um, and it's very high variability and maybe in that same category, like an instrument is maybe like less goal-based than a tool. Right. But it still has the broad goal of making music, broad goal of making music, that, which is very limiting in a way. <laughs> sure. Mean, Cause it's not a lot of, but other- I would also say it's, it's high variability. It's got a, like the user right. can input and change the experience a lot. Right. Um, you could argue that something like an online dating site would fall into this category. Um, to the extent that someone has a clear goal of say like finding someone they actually want to spend time with. Right. Although again, that's fuzzier. Like that would be like less. That matching. Would be, matching yeah. is a goal. Exactly. Sure. So matching is a goal and it's, and it's a uh, variable because of both the users and the randomness. Right. Uh, and right. That makes sense. Yeah. So okay. These are all, these are all things that are like traditional games. They're high variability, very goal based. Exactly. Right. Okay. So, so the next quadrant. Yeah. So now let's let's keep the high variability, right? Right. But we're dropping but, down. But let's ditch the goal. On goals. So less goal than an instrument. Right. So that if you eventually you get to something like that's like a toy, 
right? A toy rarely has a goal. The, the user may invent a goal. So there's an implied goal with the there's word toy, though, right? Which is to play. Which is to have, yeah, which is to have fun. But so, it, that's very vague. I would say that that's like, So play again, is like, there's different d- definitions of play. And I don't have one in front of me right now. But because people talk a lot about just play in social contexts. And sure. it's like, you know, it's it's something like, um, you, you know, it's it's a simulative activity of some kind. It's like... You know, at its base level, you're simulating something. You're you're doing something, but not for real. And there's various reasons why you might want to do that. But the, yeah, yeah, and play is like yeah. I mean, I've pro- there's a lot of definitions of that word. So right. I, I almost I don't want to go into that well, too much, but I, not, not to give it too strict a definition. But yeah. I feel like yeah, there's some implied there's something implied about the word toy where like it seems like it may not have a practical purpose, but it still seems to have some kind of goal. But I feel like it has some kind of goal in the sense that watching a movie has some kind of goal. It's like it's that sort of implicit, very weak, I'm sort of doing this to get an experience goal. But it's it's much lower on the spectrum than, again, something like an auction. Sure. Um, so, so high very, but it's high variability because a toy, generally um, a good toy, you have a lot of things you can do with it. Right. I mean, if you just think of like a, like some of the better kids toys especially that you have now you know you can alter the stance of the figure it can make lights go on you can push buttons there's like supposedly there should be different things you can do transform from a truck into a robot exactly yeah yeah it should be it should be variable um and of course the like the context in which you use it is highly variable as well i mean you could use it to like act out a story or something and we've talked about this toy label uh, applying to like interactive systems as well before. Right, right. So all of this is interactive system. So like, like, I, like I'm uh, using a like physical VR, toys. VR things and stuff like the like digital things that we've done. Yeah. So actually this area, high variability, but not goal-based right. is I think like one of the most fertile grounds right now for new digital interactive systems. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what people are making, they might want to, they might tend to want to describe it as, oh, it's a story or it's a movie or it's a game, but they're more so making things that I think are more similar to toys. They have a. They want high variability and like user impact, but they're not really trying to be very goal based. Right. You're um, not trying to get the user to do any particular thing. Yeah. Just whatever they do, you want it to have an effect. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, for example, um. Okay. Well, so also in this category, well, because we'll come back to the thought I just had. Um. Something like an environment. Um, and I would say both in the real world and in digital environment. And like, this is where kind of VR comes in, right? Cause VR has the potential to sort of manufacture an environment. Right. So like a playground or something like that, a playground. Yeah. Or, you know, you put on your VR headset and it's a, um, you know, some sort of bizarre playground on Mars, you know? Right. So, so th- I mean, this is one of the, potential- there's like a, what is, there's one that where you're searching for gnomes or something. It's like a field and there's gnomes. Okay. You know, now, if you're trying to find gnomes, it's becoming a goal-based system. Well, but you don't but, get anything for the gnomes. Yeah. You're, just, you're there for as long as you want to be there. And when the gnomes are there, when you find one, what you can do is you can, like, throw it. And maybe some you see something. So, it's just like a world that has gnomes. It's a world where Here's an environment gnomes, and it has gnomes. And if you interact with the gnomes, funny things happen. Yeah. But which, there's no additional goal. No, that's a good example of, like, an environment that you can't have in the real world. Right. At least not that I know of. Right. Um, well, not without spending a lot of money. Or until, yeah, until we can genetically engineer gnomes. Well, I guess you could make you a bunch of people... Dress up some people yeah, as gnomes. That would be some rich some person's... special effects pastime, on yeah. Already. Yeah, but this would be an expensive... 
yeah very pointless thing to do yeah um and actually you know the the more primitive digital version of this that's like pre-vr is just a website you know social networks are like this they're environments they don't really have a clear goal you explore them but they're highly variable right well they have a they have a an ulterior motive of keeping your attention, but they don't have any goal for you, the agent. Right. Right. Now you can make, of course, a low variability website. You can make a website that's just like, here's a list of facts and, or papers or links that aren't going to change. But, uh, I'm, I'm talking about like a user created dynamic website. Like imagine a storyteller who is in front of you, like an actual person having a storyteller in front of you is like a high variability, but also not goal-based experience. Because as the viewer, you're influencing the story being told to you in the way that you can't influence a static novel. Right. Um, And so like that metaphor, I think, applies to a lot of, again, stuff that can happen in the digital space, like some sort of data-driven narrative, right, that shows you a story. Now we're getting sort into more of the the possibilities. Right. Um, I, I mean, the thing that's maybe we've talked about, like, being most like this that's online currently that people interact with on a daily basis is to some extent are that your feeds that you get on social networks. Right, right, right. Cause you hit, hit like, or you hit block and then that trains the algorithm. Yeah. Right. Facebook is a storyteller. They're spinning you a yarn. And if you let them know, if you like the story they're telling, and if you don't, then they try to tell you a different story. Right. Um, but again, this is another area that I think is like sort of a fertile area to explore. Right. Um, so when you were describing the storyteller there, I was, the picture I had in my mind was like of a stand-up comedian. Yeah, a stand-up comedian would absolutely right, fall here. I mean, and, and and it does seem like the variability is medium to me in that case, because obviously the storyteller is going to have pre-prepared some elements, but they're also, like you say, making decisions on the plot. You're right. This might be more middle on the variability spectrum rather than high, because a higher, like a toy or an environment, I think would be a higher variability experience right. than, than, say, it, many storytellers. I mean, it depends if it's the type of comedian that, you know, their entire act is engaging with the audience and riffing, that might be higher variability. In, In the real world, I think because of just the challenge of a human coming up with genuinely new stuff on the fly and tailoring it. Right. Uh, this doesn't go very high on the variability spectrum usually. Right. What's different about now in the digital space is that something like Facebook that's spinning you a dynamic story in your feed right. um, can achieve a level of variability that's much, much higher than that. Right, 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 right. Um, and ostensibly, you could have a digital comedian putting an act together for you. I mean, to some extent, if you're getting you know, recommended funny videos, that's sort of what's happening. Right. YouTube is already a, a little bit of a digital comedian. If it knows that you like comedy, then it will tend to send you comedy based upon what it thinks you like. Right. Well, and because I occasionally will watch a comedy clip of someone I already like on there, right? it now suggests to me both clips by those people and clips by people who it's deemed similar to them some algorithmic way. And, you know, not, 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 uh, infrequently it ends up being something that I click on and find funny. Right. So uh, it's uh, sampling and you know, it's not creating the comedy, but it's curating the comedy relatively well already. And I don't even think I spend that much time mm-hmm. curating it really, or like feeding it. You know, I think I could, I could probably do better. Yeah. So, so there's a lot here. I mean, this is a big quadrant basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So the last quadrant, uh, 
is low variability and not goal-based. Right. And now we're back to the realm of the traditional story, right? So a lot of analog media falls into this Yeah, a novel, a feature film, a song, like a recorded song especially. Mm -hmm. Um, To some extent, uh, many works of art, like just a sculpture. Um, I mean, I guess you can like look at it from different angles, but still... You know, it's still pretty low variability. There's not really a goal there other than to appreciate it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, well, to the extent that there's like an implicit goal in all these things, yeah. it's just like, yeah, see the art or right. experience the art or whatever. But Well, and another interesting one that falls in this category is like a theme park ride. Right. Uh, where again, there's low variability. But a little higher variability. Well, there's some variability in that you can choose where to look. Yep. And that's why I think it is the best... Well, one of the better reference points for what you can do for modern day VR, which basically just introduces the ability to turn your head and like, right. And the, the real world analogy that we've had for that for a very long time, right. That we can draw upon. I think when people are trying to figure out what to do with VR is uh, a theme park, right? Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, unless you want to hire a variability experience, but I think if you want to design something in this low variability, but not necessarily a goal, um, I mean, those are some compelling experiences that ha- have already existed. Right. And that, that's part of, the, I think, the goal of the, sort of having this conversation is I want to, like, look back at all these forms that we already have mm-hmm. and recognize in the real world and start using those analogies to better describe the digital stuff. Because there's sort of this thing that, again, I feel like happens where once we move into the digital realm, we stop being precise about these things and thinking of these... You know, I guess because there's so much possibility. Right, because the borders go away. The borders go away, but I still feel like analogizing to some point on this, you know, space that I'm laying out or like analogizing to some previous uh, form can be like really instructive as to like what you're actually trying to do. Right, if you're trying to build a piece of software, say, and you know that what you want is like a toy or you know that what you want is like a theme park ride. Mm-hmm then you're going to better know what to spend your time on and what to worry about. Right. Um, versus worrying about like, does it compete with a triple a video game, which is in a completely different category and is really just has different goals. Right. Um, or does it compete with a movie that you sit and watch for two hours, which also has different goals and you know, right. Because it's just, if you actually talk about VR, like you could make a VR that sits in any of these four quadrants, Right. So you could make a low variability, highly goal-based, even using modern day VR right. system, you know, that's essentially a puzzle. You can make a great VR puzzle. Uh, you can make a highly variable, highly goal-based VR game. You know, that's more like a traditional game that's competitive. Right. Um, but that's different every time. Um, again, if you had social VR, which doesn't quite work that well, but you could easily make VR tennis with like special powers. Um <laughs> Low variability and not goal-based, right? You could have a story that's just in VR. I mean, you could just wa- sit, be, have the ability to sit in a theater and just watch a traditional movie. Right, or, or I've seen these VR narratives where you're just some point in space and you're just watching a story. On, on- right, you're a fly on the wall, yeah. like in, you know, a major decision, you know, made in the Civil War or something. Sure, or just a scene between two people or whatever. Yeah. Anything you can make a movie about, you can make a VR video about right and you add some variability but like i think it's you know the, the head turning is still pretty minimal 
Right. You give up the ability to frame your shots as yeah. a, as a director and you give the audience the ability to frame them for them, which, you know, it's it's a challenge to figure out how to use that, but that is a sort of power. Yeah. And I think all three of those things are interesting. Right. But they all require skill in the in the previous form that they're drawing upon. Again, you can't make a puzzle unless you know how to make a good puzzle. I mean, yes. VR doesn't solve that problem for you. It might make it slightly more compelling, but I think only for a couple minutes while people it are It might trick some more people into trying your puzzle, but yeah. you better have a good puzzle. If yeah. you want to design a competitive yeah. game, you know, again, you need that's still an art form unto itself you need to learn. If you want to mm-hmm. write a good story, you still need to know how to write a good story. Mm-hmm. However, the last quadrant, the high variability and not goal-based, the, the toy environment space, mm-hmm. this is, I think, where the easiest place to probably shine with VR is just, like, drop the goal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let it be variable, right? Let the user impact it, right? And just let them explore a space. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's one of the things that could, like, really leverage the strengths of VR, um, without requiring you, because in some senses, like I think a toy or an environment, these are some of the e- like slightly easier things to design than a game, a puzzle, or a story. Well, it seems like it has maybe a lower barrier to entry and a higher cap on like complexity <laughs> because you could design a whole world in this category, right? Like, right. But a toy can also be very simple, like like run around and catch gnomes. Right. No, I get that. That's that's what I said. The lower, lower barrier, like you, the, 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 the easiest version of this seems easier than the easiest version of the other three quadrants. In general, when you're trying to explore like a new, like digital space, this to me feels like a really easy first place to go Mm -hmm. because you don't have to be a master at one of the three other, Forms, right? Like, because you're just, you're, if you're just trying to master a new, brand new technical platform like mm-hmm. VR, you put a lot of extra burden on yourself by like, you also have to be a master game designer, storyteller, or puzzle creator. Uh, in this sense, you can just, I think, leverage the platform more and leave it up to the user how they're going to interact with it. So, okay, so you recently went to. Are you talking about that um, interactive platform thing that I was telling you about? Yeah. yeah. So let's talk so, about that for a second. Uh, I th- they didn't make me sign anything. I think I can talk about it. So I recently saw a demo from a company uh, called Echo, E-K-O. Right. They are making a, an interactive creation platform. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you can make VR stuff with it, and you can also make uh, stuff that's meant to play on a regular screen. Mm-hmm. But the central sort of insight of their thing is that they use their authoring tool from the from the very beginning phase to plan the project to write the script and then to do all the logic you know all the actual programming inside this sort of tree-based graphical right environment so that's their main innovation i mean there's, there was more to it than that but that was the when you were talking about that one uh bob dylan video i believe yeah, it is they, they made this uh video for like a Rolling Stone, which you might have seen. I think a mm-hmm. lot of people uh, saw it. And it it's a TV. It's The metaphor is a TV. Mm-hmm. And you're watching uh, what looks like real television programming. It's like parody television programming. But the people in the show are singing the words to the song. And what's um, the interactive part of it is you can change the channel. Right. And it, it changes pretty much instantly. Uh, it changes a little faster than my real TV does. And uh, it whatever channel you land on next, um, you can only go up or down. So it's a, it's a set sort of, um, 
uh, order that you're going in. But uh, what, whichever channel you go on next, they're also singing the song on that channel. So, but it's a new channel with a new parody show and new actors and. Um, you can sort of cut your own. So you get to cut your own music video yeah. basically by clicking this button. And, uh, you know, they were excited about it. It had high replayability. They were very excited about that. People were going back through it multiple times to try to see different versions. Yeah. And this is a great example, I think, of, of a high variability and not goal-based interactive system. Mm-hmm. Right? Like there's no, um, there's no clear goal other than sort of the vague, like, cut something cool. Uh, or you could just sit there. I mean, if you liked one of them, you could just sit. You there could just sit and watch it. One, and, and that's the variability part too. Is yeah, it's yeah. it's your the you're user in- determines a lot of what the experience is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like that's seems to me like a success story of the platform. Um, but then you would it becomes much more difficult to think about some of the other things you could do with that platform and to fulfill the other quadrants, right? I think they all become I think much more difficult. Yeah. Earlier. Yeah. I think it's like in the middle point where like it probably has lots of branches, but ultimately it probably has only a few endings, I would imagine. And it probably has several lost states and one win state, but it doesn't probably have like the kind of variability that like a game of football has. Right. Where like moment to moment variability is so high. You've got multiple players, you've got physics, you've got weather. Right. I mean, yeah. you've got, yeah, like at any second of the game, there might be a play going or not, or yeah. there might be any number of different people in motion and and the ball might be doing it you know i don't think it maybe has that many branches but but it, it i think it's the kind of thing where you know it's it's like a lot of games that are basically a, a series of puzzles with occasional occasionally more variable parts right essentially right right but and, and this is the, uh, the reason i'm sort of interrogating this is that again the word game is problematic here so to some extent um it's you know, it covers so many different things, right? Right. The it fact- covers so many different interactive systems. But there's another axis that we could have. Which right? would be what? There is a difference between a slot machine and football. And the main difference is that you can be good at football and it matters a lot more than if you're good at a slot machine. Skill. It's skill. Yeah. I mean, whether something skill-based is, I think, potentially another axis. What separates slot machine a slot machine from chess? Yeah. Yes, there's randomness elements, but I think that the simplest thing would be skill. But I would say, you know, whether it's you know chess or poker or tennis or bowling or whatever, they're all more skill based than a slot machine. Right. So, like in my original categorization scheme, they would go in the same quadrant. But but if we start talking about skill, right? Then that would be like a third axis. Axis, yeah. Where some of those things that are, but skill only makes sense in the context of whether you have a goal, right? So it's sort of sub, it's like subservient to the idea of having a goal. Like for example, actually, let's compare, say, bowling, right, Mm -hmm. and uh, slot machines, and chess okay okay um so bowling's actually i am realizing actually is pretty low variability um it's it's a bit more like super mario it's a bit more like if you were to perform the exact same movements every time then theoretically you would get a strike every time like the same inputs from the like so like i see because it's mostly based on 
like skill, like hand-eye coordination. Most of the variability comes from, you know, user error. Right. From skill. Right? Right. Whereas chess, you could make the same moves, but you have no control over what your opponent does. Right. Right. And the, the fundamental complexity of the different moves that are allowed makes it yeah. hard to guess that. Yeah. And slot machine, you could pull the lever, but you have no control over what you get. Right. Right. So I, again, I'm putting on this particular right. actor. You, num- you have a control over how many chances you take. That's yeah. the only control. So, right. and, and yet, of course now, so I'm saying that, you know, a slot machine is higher variability than bowling. Right. That's sort of in the way that I'm using variability, mm-hmm. but obviously there's some sense in which you have more control <laughs> when you're bowling than with a slot machine. Cause it's certainly, and it's certainly more skill based, right? Well, you feel more, uh, you feel more the consequence of your actions in bowling. Right. So like the feeling of agency, right. Right. Is something that maybe we could talk about next. What's tricky about that one as an axis is it can so often be illusory, right? I mean, this is where it gets metaphysical, right? Cause what is like, do, do I have free? It's like you get into discussions of free will. And then you also have the opposite problem, which is when you get into the digital space, it's very easy to fake agency. And in fact, I think like this is what a lot of these applications are designed to do. They're designed to make you feel in control, whether or not you really are. Right. And even a slot machine is to some extent designed that way. Much, right. Much more primitively. So. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think this is like a perfect map I've laid out. Like maybe the, my variability concept isn't like capturing the most useful thing I could, but like, I guess if we more narrowly defined it as whether the user can alter the experience. Like, and now we ruled out like things internal to the slot machine, I guess. I see. But then so if the, we redefine variability to exclude the slot machine. But then it's like user control now. And it's feeling is more like a measurement of agency or whatever. Of, yeah. Of user input uh, relevance. Yeah. But then, th- then I feel like we lose a lot of the, the descriptive power in, in, because like, you know. Well, I think the biggest problem with it is the one you just said, which is that it can be faked. So now you have to go with apparent user input relevance, right? Yeah. And now you've, it, it, then it gets very confusing. Then, then it's become yeah. hard to measure. So I'm not saying that those are interesting issues. I'm not saying that's not important. I'm just like leaving that aside for now. So like a lot of the time where this comes up um, is, so if we talk about a traditional story or narrative, right? Usually... On, again, going back to my original description, we're talking about something that's low variability, mm-hmm. right? And not that goal-based. And basically not goal-based, yeah. Yeah. And then you talk about something that's more like a puzzle or game even. You start going towards like like the sort of like traditional competitive game side is like really as far away from that traditional story as you can get because now we're talking about high variability, highly goal-based. But there's a, a lot of people want to like hit this exact center of my diagram, it seems like, right? Again, it's like a lot of these AAA games essentially try to, they try to do that. They try to say, um, we're going to make a thing that has a big grand narrative that we're going to write in advance and it's low variability because we want people to have a good, awesome, written, scripted experience every time, right? But we don't want it to be that goal-based because it's a big open world that you can explore, but it's also goal-based because you can win it and like you can get items and succeed at subquests usually yeah. yeah and it's also like highly variable because it's like replayable and different every time it's like they're trying to do 
both ends of every spectrum, mm-hmm. like all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would sort of say, well, there's a bit of a tension there, right? I mean, it's, it's hard. Or certainly it would be difficult to do all those things. I think that's why like when, to the extent that people are successful at this, it takes huge teams to pull this off. Um, mm-hmm. But focusing just on the narrative issue here, right? Like, do you want a high variability or low variability narrative? And what does it mean to be in the middle there? Right? Like, what do you even gain by having like a high variability narrative? Right? Because ostensibly there is the best version of a story, right? That the author could come up with, right? Cause there's, it might be multiple ways to tell a particular story uh, that the author wants to tell. And usually what you get in a novel is like the edited perfected version. Right. Right. Um, so, but then now you have this urge to add some like variability to it and inevitably now you can no longer be sure that they're getting the best version of the story. Well, right. If you think there's one best version and then four like less good versions or something, then right. it seems like a loss to the creator to agree to allow some users to stumble into the bad version. Right. So unless you have convinced yourself that every version is equally good in, in some way, which I think is possible, but is maybe yeah. hard. Uh, this seems like a loss to the creator. Now, one of the reasons you, you could argue you would want to make something, a story more variable is to create this illusion of agency. Right. And, and what does that do to the story? Like, what is that? Because if it's variable in the sense that I have some branching paths, so again, going back to the choose your adventure idea, maybe I feel in control and maybe that changes my stance towards the story somehow. Maybe that allows the author to actually tell a different type of story. Maybe something's been gained there. Yeah. This is something I'd love to see some studies on, but I haven't seen any like specifically about when people participate in interactive, uh, systems, uh, you know, what, what amount of identification with, the characters right can we measure and is it different from the type of identification you can get from just you know watching a movie for example where there's a main character who himself has a goal and who's like you're all, in some ways a movie is a little bit like watching someone play a game <laughs> sure right i mean it does have this other element of like it's been honed to be supposedly the best version or right. the best version they could come up with or whatever but on one level, it's like the characters in movies, if they're typical, you know, hero's journey type movies that are the most commonly made, they have a goal and they have, it's not variable in the sense that um, every time you watch the movie, it'll be the same. But from the character's point of view, there's variability in the outcomes. Well, your goal again is just to get to the end of the movie. Right. But, but the character has some goal and they're like failing along the way to eventually succeeding in the goal. If it's and you're maybe identifying Hollywood movie and you're identifying th- through the the normal you know neural uh, uh, effects that that cause you to identify with somebody that you see projected on a screen, right. so there's like uh, you're not doing it, but there's a way in which you feel that you are, right? And I guess that is, I think that's easy to confuse with actually playing a game and being the person doing the thing. And maybe they are the same thing and I'm wrong, or maybe they're different things. I don't know. I'd well, like so, to see more about that. So my original intuition about this yeah. was that um, 
I was very skeptical. I'm not sure that you gain anything by, oh, I'm watching a movie and now I get to make a choice every once in a while. But then the best defense I read of this, and I don't remember who the author was, otherwise I'd credit them now, was someone who took the position that actually the kinds of emotions you can get with the type of identification you get from this sort of agency you get from a more game-like experience, Mm -hmm. those emotions are actually different. So you might watch a movie and feel scared Mm -hmm. or sad or happy, Mm -hmm. but you're less likely to, say, feel regret or guilt. Right. Um, Or bravery or courage, probably. Or triumphant. Right. When the hero does something brave in a movie... right. You, you feel might admiration. you feel admiration and excitement, right? But you don't necessarily feel brave like you did it yourself. And if the hero does something bad, you might feel like sad or like affected by that very deeply. But you don't necessarily feel guilt, feel the guilt or regret. Not unless it's like a Lars von Trier movie and like they're it's that, using like, like experimental techniques to make you feel guilty on purpose, which is you know obviously that's pushing at the edges of what cinema can do. That's not the normal thing. Um, but yeah, I think that's right. And one of the things I noticed about the demos I saw when I saw the Echo platform. Was that every time he, I was watching him make choices in these different things. Yeah. And every time he made a choice, I felt a, a pang of regret. Like I felt like more than anything, this platform was a regret machine that like what it did more than anything else was it it made me regret whatever i hadn't chosen and that was rarely what they wanted (laughs) to to be doing with it so that was i was thinking that this is cool that it's maybe being used wrong well regret is a powerful emotion again that you can't always access in a movie again if, if a character does something bad in a movie and feels badly about it you pity them or something right so, well, it depends how tightly you're identified with them, right? But yeah. I, think, I think the technique, if you're making a film where you wanted people to feel regret, is to first spend a lot of time building up their rapport with the character, having the character do a lot of mm-hmm. things that they themselves do, and, and really getting under their skin, and then have the character in a very realistic situation do something. Yeah, you could maybe get there through regretful. a lot of effort. But I think it would take a lot more time and effort to earn that in a movie uh, than it takes to earn um, feelings of love in a movie, which you can do with music and a couple of cuts, you know, right, <laughs> or something like that. I mean, there's there's some things that we're so used to seeing in movies, and that the cinema is so good at bringing up in us that the technique is easy. To, yeah. To but where with that with that the technique is hard, and it, the opposite seemed to be the case for these interactive videos, right? That I was looking at. That's what they were. They were interactive videos, so they had a lot of the same power as cinema, except. I had a deep and abiding regret. <laughs> now, where where I would come down on this, though, is that if, yeah. if, if your goal was to access some of these emotions like regret or guilt or bravery that right. maybe the illusion of agency can generate, right. I would do exactly that. I would focus on the illusion of agency because I still feel like philosophically for me anyways, and plenty of people will disagree with this, that if you're trying to tell a narrative, there probably is one best version and that you more or less want to adhere to that. So you want to preserve low variability, mm-hmm. like I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you want to be in the same exact quadrant I talked about earlier that a traditional story is in. You want low variability 
and low goal. And then you just want to, like a magician, create the illusion of agency using the technology so that the player, and I think this is honestly more or less what a lot of games, these games do. Like Mm -hmm. they make it seem like you have choice, but ultimately, you know, the branches reconnect. Right. You get forced back onto the same path. Back into, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that also reduces the complexity and cost of making one of these things. So that's obviously a factor as well. Right. Um, But yeah, I pretty much agree with that, that the illusion seems to give you as much as the actuality, unless the point you are trying to make is something about emergent properties of when intelligent people, you know, try to fool each other or try to, you know, game some kind of system. And then you kind of have to get into that high variability toy space. Um, right, right. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right. I think there's, if you're, it's good to think of it as like, what emotional effects are, are each of these types of media best suited for? So if you want to create regret or guilt or a fear of missing out in your viewer, then showing them two screens at the bottom of the screen and whichever one they click on is the one they're going to hear is a great way to do that or something, you know, or like, like, right. You know, they, that created great anxiety for me when I did a demo that, that was like that. And I was like, whatever's at the bottom is probably more interesting, you know? And I was very worried that I wasn't seeing the best thing, you know? Right. Um, I think those are interesting emotions to sometimes bring up, but it doesn't necessarily feel like a complete replacement for everything that you can do in just regular, uh, no goal, very low variability storytelling. Right. Right. And when like, you know, that's a form that's sticky, that's been around. And so, you know, trying to push that too much outside of that, I think you, you, you run into new challenges. Right. Um, and to some extent, this sort of illusion of agency thing, um, where, you know, it appears like it's variable when it actually isn't. And it, I mean, that's what the illusion, this agency thing is like, like it appears like variability that you can affect versus variability that's being affected by, uh, the programming. Right. Um, I don't know how sustainable that is, right? Uh, you know, it's like a, a... There is a third thing, though. What? I just thought of, which is there's um, there's variability that you're unaware of. So as a creator, you, can, you have mm. various data that you can get about your audience. And if it's VR, you have a lot of interesting data, like where they're looking. And uh, you can, without telling them and without giving them any ability to... Um, to get feedback and therefore uh, develop skill, yeah. uh, you could uh, just tailor the experience to them. And this, the, you'd have to have a theory that instead of having the theory that there's one best way to tell a story, that kind of a theory that like the DJ at a club has, which is that like different people or different crowds of people might need to be taken a different way to get to the same place. Well, we talked about this earlier, the dynamic storyteller. We the talked about the comedian. Right. So it's a way the, yeah. to be the dynamic storyteller or the comedian. Right, right, right. Same thing. But but normally, like, the dynamic storyteller experience wants you to know that they're tailoring it for you. The, like, DJ, like, takes requests and the, the comedian seems like they're making it up on the fly, even if they're not, right? Right. But you're talking about actually obscuring 
that. So you think you're getting a scripted experience when you're not. That's interesting. That's like a flip, weird flip. Right, right. So it's not being like literally generated on the fly for you, but it's, but it's variable based on some input or some data we have about you. It's variable, but you have, but you you appear to have no agency. Well, right. Or you appear to have agency that is less than what you actually have. So, for example, in VR, you have agency to look around. Right. And you know you have that. And if I have my VR track where you're looking, and then based on where you're looking, it makes a decision about what to show you next, but it doesn't stop you and ask you for a decision. And it doesn't explicitly say like, this is a test to see if you can look at the cookie or anything like that. Right. Right. Um, which obviously that would change it into right. more of like a game. Then uh, you can, as a, you can have something that is variable, um, maybe not as much as a, a sport, but more than a movie, somewhere in that middle. Yeah. And um, you can have it be non-goal oriented, at least from the point of view of the user. Um, but you can, I don't know, it's just interesting because I think as a creator, you actually gain something potentially there because you might have a theory in your mind that like for restless people who can't stop looking around, the best version of the story is X. And for Focused people who rarely look around, the best version of the story is why. Right. Well, and the reason, and then, yeah, you would... You could give them that both. But you don't want them to know that it's being tailored to them because you don't want them to start entering that... Maybe I don't want to make them feel guilty or regretful. Regret. You want basically. to actually avoid that. Right. Right. These are the downsides of the appearance of agency, right? right? right like right. having agency is a double-edged sword. Like having agency might allow you to access certain emotions or to feel proud of what you can do or to like, you know, like some people to enjoy making decisions like in a strategy game, but having agency, uh, can also be problematic. Yeah. If, if you don't want to feel regret every time you do something. Right. Well, like, for me, I found it was impossible yeah. to avoid the regret and that wasn't cool. And then also I feel like when I have more agency yeah. and this may be me, I don't know if this is like a universally true thing, but for me, when I have more agency, I feel less connection to the creator. I feel like uh, there's less communication going on about the creator's mind to me when I'm affecting it more because it's more about my mind, basically. Like right. my mind is intruding and coloring the data in ways that make it harder for me to feel like, you know, and maybe that's an illusion, but that's an illusion that I like when I go see a movie that when I leave, I kind of feel like the filmmakers and I have discussed something, you know, I feel like we know each other in some way. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't say there's none of that with a game, like a video game. There's some, um, but there's certainly none of that with like football. I feel no connection to the creator of football based on having played football before. Right. Like, uh, I feel connection to the person I played football with because <laughs> I saw them make decisions that affected me directly, for example. Right. But, um, so like if you play chess against somebody, I think you know something about the person you played chess with, but I don't think you know something about the person who made chess. Or yeah. I think there even is a person who made chess, but that's a bad example, but you know what I mean? Uh, you know, there's, so I, I think there's something you can reclaim, um, some of that authorial connection by hiding agency or, or just by having less of it. Right. Right. So the short of it is this stuff gets real complex. Maybe we can revisit this. <laughs> as some time down the line in another podcast, but it's... Well, I like your variance thing better. Yeah. Because I think agency depends on variance. Like, as you increase agency, yeah. 
uh, you can start to parse variability by whether again it's it's caused by the user or something else, and that's to some extent, to some extent captures that agency, for, right, right, or like actual agency versus the appearance of agency. So you can you can start to build on what I laid out right. and, and go in this direction. Yeah, yeah. yeah but tell us uh, what you think if we've gotten this wrong or not. Uh, yeah, or 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 just a different way to think about it because I feel like there's probably more than one useful schema here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, okay, so that is another episode. Until next time, I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cover. And you've been listening to Review the Future. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>